0: Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. Oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen, shopify.com slash listen.
1: So I got an email the other day from a chap called John McKinnon, who's been on the show before, and his message said that he was listening to an edition of the show from like three or four years ago where I'd talked about... The fact that on one occasion, I'd slept in a phone box. The show was about phone boxes, so it was contextual. And the incident was from way back in the day when I'd been marooned somewhere in the UK in the wee small hours. In the cold, I'd missed the last train and my options were basically either to walk up and down outside the train station waiting for the first train of the morning um, and hoping to stay warm or, and here I spied the only form of shelter available, to hole up in a phone box and try and get three or four hours kept, which I did, and I mentioned it on this episode that I'm talking about. And so this message from John comes through, and he says he's doing a project on phone boxes. Why don't you come and share this memory? John's a pretty interesting guy, as you'll know if you've heard him on the show before, and you'll have heard in recent shows, the chance to catch up with past guests has borne a lot of fruit, but all was not to go as planned.
0: Hey baby, let me take it down So we'll play some strange sights and the sound You ain't never seen the light
1: before Just a through throw from your front From Theobalds Road, round the back of Hoban Station. I have to start this week's episode with a confession that Goodwill has been bought and paid for. This is not going to be an unbiased interview. I have received from today's guest two pancakes with blueberries and maple syrup. We're standing outside the place where we've just consumed them. I would heartily recommend Woolies on Theobalds Road. With me is John McKinn, and he is a part of the Enigma that is Platform 7. Hello good morning so uh, in the light of these blueberry pancakes which were delicious how fantastic are you john <laughs> <laughs> they were fantastic this they, is... they were fantastic as well yes how fantastic am i god god that's right with me sorry well, i thought it's going to be low balls the whole way <laughs> i'm uh, i'm like everyone else i'm okay good okay well that's the end of the interview thanks for Thank appearing uh, what are we doing here we're in Theobalds roads it's a brisk autumnal day I want to show you a phone box uh, and speak about some of the projects that has happened since 2014 when we last spoke. And we've chosen this venue for uh, reasons other than the pancake provision? No, no, no other reason. Um, Purely for the pancakes, because uh, they're lovely. <laughs> I got a weird message from you the other day. I wasn't sure whether this was part of one of those gimmicky advertising campaigns, and it was in fact an impersonal ad. But you seem to be telling me that a, a book had been stolen out of your phone box and replaced with a bunch of sex worker advertisements, which, given that I don't know what the project is in the first place, I I really don't know how to process.
0: Yes, we did have a telephone book made by Dawn Cole, who's a print artist, which is in a phone box in Holborn. We're exploring innovation at the moment and how people think about innovation. And having collected quite a few stories and getting quite a lot of publicity, as it happens, on the weekend, it went missing. And we are still searching for it. So if you come across
1: an artwork phone book, then please get in touch. Uh, let me make sure I've understood this. You've, you've put a work of art in a public phone box and surprise, surprise, it's gone missing. Precisely. Well, what did you think was going to happen? It may have gone... We,
0: we did expect it could go
1: missing, but we wouldn't... As
0: there's no actual financial value to it, and it's quite heavy and quite big, it's 300 pages, it's a recreated... 1930s phone book to collect stories so it, like, so it looks
1: like an antique
0: it looks like an antique right. I'm going to show you a photo because we're almost at the phone box
1: so you put something that looks like an antique in a public place <laughs> <laughs> yes well here's, here's the phone here's box the phone show you the ok phone so I should uh, explain where we're at the top of Bedford Row now the junction of Bedford Row and uh, Theobald's Road Bedford Road, by the way in case you're not familiar with it is a very tidy looking street Full of tall, mm, Georgian-ish houses. Neat street lamps that look like they might have been gaslit at one point. It's a very civilised part of town. It's beautiful. And here we have the red traditional phone box.
0: Uh, this is a K2 phone box, actually. Designed by the same architect as the Tate and uh, Battersea power station.
1: And the only thing that tells me that this is anything other than a normal phone box is a little sign saying innovation on the door. And we've got P, new P in the box. You're in, yes. Did Dawn Cole do that for you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, so,
1: no answer. No. <laughs> well, I don't keep track of all of Dawn Cole's movements. I thought <laughs> <laughs> well, this would be one way to do just that. So, thank your lucky stars, listener, that you're only using audio here. The the stench is unbearable.
0: So, as you can see, the sex cards were down to one. So, some of the other sex cards have been taken. As as our, our art book up there is the cover. Poster for the book.
1: You're you're essentially showing me a normal phone box with your own. (laughs) <laughs> flyer pinned up in it.
0: Yeah, um, it's a little bit more than that. It's, well, it's, is
1: it? Well,
0: yeah, Actually, this was actually spotlessly clean, actually, two weeks ago. Right. So it is being used. Um, by whom and by what, we do not know.
1: There's, there's a telltale sign here, actually, and I don't know if this is your doing as well, but there is a folded cardboard box in here. When I say folded, I mean this was uh, originally the crate for something the size of a TV or a printer, and it's been folded down. This is often something, of course, that people use used to sleep on.
0: And this is exactly what this is. It's used, and we're going to do a project over Christmas around homelessness. Uh, and it's one of the first things what came to, you know, came out of this intervention so far is that people use the phone boxes for homes, basically. And uh, the engineer, BT, have been great, to be honest. They went and searched for... That's a, a listed phone box. It's the original. It's 90 years old now. Huh. They're made of iron. Um, we're going in here.
1: Here, here being an, an impressive set of art deco double doors.
0: And uh, yeah, so people use it to yeah, keep the cardboard covered. But the engine, anyway, BT searched for a shelf, a, a K2 shelf to go into that phone box for our phone book. And when they were delivering it, or putting it into cages actually, the engineer was telling me about the homeless problem around Charing Cross and it's actually got, you know, and he was really upset actually by the whole. Experience and the amount of people have to use phone boxes to sleep in and keep their stuff, and you know, it's tough. And so, we're going to explore that as part of our so, we're going to explore as the innovation of how people rethink the creativity you need to build a home when you haven't got anywhere to sleep. So, the book was collecting the stories of what people think of phone boxes, and already we quickly discovered was that people start talking about it as a sanctuary of some sort. To sleep on the streets and survive on the
1: streets, you have to be quite creative. And you have to innovate, (laughs) strangely enough. And you've got to find some way to uh, make yourself safe for the night. Well, I mean, we know that, in fact, hostels, which are already teeming, aren't going to be open to you at that time of night. Uh, You're down to underpasses, you're down to phone boxes, uh, maybe foyers or shelters. uh, And if it's cold, you're in trouble.
0: Precisely, and how do you and your creative juices have to roll to find a solution to that? So that's really the first part of this long, long-term intervention. The upside of the phone book going missing is that the and the police and Camden Council are both being sending
1: out messages across their networks to if anyone finds it. But um, is you, that. You've tied up the resources. Listen, <laughs> I've just been reading uh, about uh, escape artists in the Second World War, and they saw it as one of their duties to try and tie up as much of the German army as possible. And for that reason alone, if no other, they kept escaping so that they could get lots of soldiers looking for them in the countryside. I bring us back to the present day. You've you've tied up Camden Council (laughs) and the Metropolitan Police looking for your phone book. No, no, not quite. Yes, actually.
0: Well, they're out and about anyway, and it's probably been discarded somewhere. So it's just that, you know, if they see it, it's going to look unusual, to be honest. It's going to be thick and
1: orange with loads of print over it, so... Well, is it not possible that it's actually providing bedding for somebody?
0: No, no, no? it's
1: not someone homeless who's stolen it. It's probably the person putting the sex cards in that's just taking it and throwing it away I, sh- I should emphasise that it was in no way impugning the good name of a homeless person, but if you put you know, no, materials so. down... No. no, no, I don't think so. I'd
0: be very surprised. I think there's other more pressing needs of someone who's homeless than uh, taking a phone book and adding weight to their already... Yeah, what
1: they've got to carry around with them. Well, do you know what, I'm going, to, I'm going to disagree with you from practical experience. The thing that saved me, having spent the night in a phone box, was a, a hardback book that I happened to have with me. Because I'm the sort of person who has a hardback book with me. Nothing else. And it, it wasn't a K2 phone box, it was one of those more modern 80s ones uh, that has a, a gap, at, you know, fancy anymore. one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it had, a, it had a gap at the bottom, and the whole thing was just about bearable. Except for a, a ferocious draft that was coming under that gap, <laughs> and by positioning the phone book underneath myself and assuming a, a sort of a vertical fetal position, I was able to keep myself something like shelter for a few hours. Ah! So that hey. phone book actually could come in useful.
0: That's also a very good story. We need to uh, capture. If, if that. only
1: we could find a book to run it down. But <laughs>
0: well, there is the online. There's a uh, penny for your thoughts on Facebook, where you can also add your mm-hmm. stories. So we, one want to add a story about a phone book, um, a phone box. Or phone, or using the phone. Uh, we're very interested in this idea, especially now. I mean, people forget it was a community space. Uh, phone boxes, you know, people would queue up, and that's how you'd meet your neighbours, and that's how you'd meet other people in your, you know, in your community. So yeah, it was, and some of the stories are really funny, but also there's some really sad stories as well. It's quite you know painful stories because there are also places where you hear about death or and the beauty of birth and
1: those kind of things. You know, it was important phone boxes. We'll we'll look at some of those if we can in just a moment. Thinking of meeting people in your local community, have you had any contact with the people who put the sex worker cards in there?
0: No, I think all that happened over the weekend. And the P as well is quite interesting, where that keeps coming from, because that's come twice now in the last couple of weeks. There's There's three phone boxes in this street, and they're particularly choosing that phone box. So it may be, I mean, we are actually really interested in why one person would steal it and the interaction with it. So the fact that BT and Camden have allowed us to extend the project till next spring gives us plenty of time to slow the project down and just just let it develop on its own slow
1: pace. But mm. um, well, I'm kind of sincere. Uh, because it is a shop window for sex work, it seems surprising to me that you're not in touch with people in that area. Well, We don't get in touch with anybody
0: ever. That's, the, that's not how interventions work. The interventions work by people finding the intervention and then engaging with it. So the intervention we did in the city, which I will speak about later, um, the waste agency, which took place for four months in the city, is exactly the same. It started off as an empty shop. And so uh, people were confused. Why, we, why are you just standing around in an empty HMV? Because the HMV in Lebanon Market. Why are you hanging around there, not doing anything? And what they didn't quite understand was when people came in from the city... The people who've been there for years could actually... This, this, the stains on the floor, i.e. not stain- Oh, not
1: dawn coal again.
0: <laughs> the, but not not stains, but you know where the shelving has been, so that's still got like fairly new-looking carpet, and where the feet have been, it's gone mm. all grey. You could work out where the CDs were, and you could work out where, what records, and people could name the actual album on the wall. they could oh, that was a David Bowie and they remember and then they have this moment of memory so this, this empty space which people saw as just why are you gonna, why are you, when are you going to paint it if it's going to be an art gallery was actually already illuminating lots and lots of stories from the off this, this is, it fits into our broader work about regeneration and migration. and it, it, There's a lot in, in, in... Even though it might just seem like a phone box, it covers a lot of our core Platform 7 issues. Without phone boxes and without the railways, you would never have had World War I because you couldn't possibly have, have created World War One because you couldn't shift that many men and equipment and food and everything else and communicating up and down the road. So... Up and down the line, sorry. So these are quite... Yeah. it all fits into our broader conversation.
1: And that, that, that interaction of the public space and the private experience, yeah. Speaking of the private experience, last time we met you had a hat full of hopes and now you have double doors on Bedford Road. Shall I take you in? Yes. Let's go in. What's happened in the last two years then? So the waste agency which was in the city was a
0: project exploring how you build a, a an economy built on consumption and wastefulness. And so I took over, over an old HMV in the city, uh, between the Leadenhall in Leadenhall Market, basically between the cheese grater and the walkie-talkie, for four months. And in the end, I had sixteen hundred and fifty interviews in there with people working in the city. Uh, the ex-deputy governor of the Bank of England was up to do a talk as well. Uh, UCL wanted to back into it, and what we did, we. Using the artwork of many of the artists in the, in the network, um, slowly it slowly developed. I'm using the tights balls, which you will remember, and dust coins by Paul Hazleton. Well, wow. artwork by lots of people, actually. And people started to engage oh, in this idea oh, of how the economy opening. and waste, so and re- they think about recycling. Because that's the immediate default position, you know, uh, we should recycle more. I'm just
1: unlocking the security doors. Listener bonus, the code is... (laughs) So... um, We've passed into uh, a high-tech looking space through a, a corridor that is glass on both sides. And there's a meeting we could disrupt there. This is your office.
0: This is our office. This is Kinergy's office, which is the outcome of a lot of the research that we created. As you may remember, back in when we spoke last time, you were saying, what's going to happen with all this stuff? And I said, I don't know. Um, But this is what's happening, and I'll come back to that in a moment. So the city interventions, which you can see the two towers from here, over there, Uh, there they are, the cheese grater. (coughs) What they told us was that there was a real uh, concern in the city, and people were concerned. But they all kept speaking about the system
1: the system won't allow the system the system that we work in the system the system the system well i feel like i need to know what it was you were asking and what was the proposal of the interview
0: the interview well, wasn't an interview it was all the artwork slowly built up um and as it was building up people became intrigued you know what's this about what's this about you had a bit of aggression at times but generally most of the people who came to it first of all they thought it was a recycling project about recycling uh, but then once they realised it was about the economy itself, how do you build this economy based on consumption, then the conversation started to develop much more deeply. And what, when people come in for five minutes, they often say for one and a half, two hours sometimes. And what was interesting, as we got longer into the project, the more senior the people became who came in, you know, people running big insurance companies, and also how insurance as an industry has the ability to pivot everything for good and for bad. And actually, the, probably the biggest outcome of that is that insurance is probably the key to changing the way we all
1: consume, you know, uh, much more than politics. Well, On that word, you've, you've hit the trigger word of con- consume consumption there. You talked about an economy on consumption, how to do an economy on consumption. Surely we already have an economy based on consumption. What, what are we actually talking about here?
0: Why have we put the economy based on consumption? so it's really, challenging Yeah, why, why is the it, setup yeah, yeah. why is it like that you know, and then we just waste things so it wasn't going in with a this is you know, I wasn't, there was no offer of an alternative it's like you know, I or no one I know has come up with some alternatives lots of people claim they've got an alternative to capitalism but actually to see beyond the paradigm is actually quite an quite a insightful you know, way to go I don't know many people can actually do that this was more to find out what was actually happening how does how does the big money I mean, I think one person quoted a trillion pounds a week passes through that square that half of a square mile so um, yeah, yeah sh- i 'm not claiming that's what happened, but that 's what someone told us. What was interesting though is the city of London Corporation, we spoke last time about how councils I, I told you about how brilliant councils and people in And there's a change, and there's a political change as well, going on. But actually, in the City of London, the City of London Corp had a completely different mindset. I mean, they were difficult, and it it wasn't pleasant actually. And they would probably claim differently. I mean, it wasn't individual so much; it was just the way they've set up. It was quite aggressive. Um, What was quite aggressive? The council. What what happened? Well, to give you, they insisted on charging rates, saying it was a business. Which was bizarre, which took up most of the cash. Which we did manage to. Um, the Arts Council came and gave us some cash um, eventually, reluctantly, and rightly reluctantly in one sense, I suppose, because they were, I imagine they were a bit concerned that the city would come and knock at the door and try and take it, which they did. But UCL wanted to back into the project because they were really interested and wanted to run a series of talks and run a whole series, you know, a very senior UCL professor. Um, wrote to Mark Bolat, who's the head of the Corporation of London, and uh, got the most ridiculous email back, you know, weeks later. You know, just, it, was just, it was ridiculous. And I saw him on Newsnight a few weeks ago talking about Brexit and bleating about how bad it is for the city. And I just looked in I thought, you have no idea how you've caused this. You don't understand how you became part of this problem. And now you're bleating... Well, that all of these people in the city are going to be losing their money because of it. And, uh, yeah, if you lost a... If I was a currency trader who, who got burned that night after Brexit, boom, well, he would be the person I'd be gunning for. He's the person I'd be like, he needs to go. Because it was just... And then just to add the cherry on top of the cake, four months after we left, or three months after we left the waste agency, we got a bill from the, um, <laughs> from the city of London For 800 and something pounds to pay for crossrail (laughs) so we got this bill which we had 12 or 14 days to pay so one of the supporters of platform seven coughed up very annoyed but there's nothing you can do about it it was they said you were there for four months and you're liable to pay uh, that percentage of the crossrail rebuilding costs
1: well, it's a bit steep, but let's hope, there was, uh, let's hope you got something for that investment. What did you achieve in the four months? What was the net gain for you?
0: So the net gain was that Platform 7 as a uh, research, wouldn't, you couldn't really learn much more than what we've already learned. The difference between, say, people working in the city and people in Margate, really the biggest difference in thought processes was just zero. And, but money was obviously different. So your position of how you think about things is only changed by the, the amount of money you have. But the actual, you've got people who are just anti-art or anti-anti everything, basically, as you have in Margate or have in London or anywhere else in the world, probably. And then you have people who just love everything and love everyone and want to do good things. And then you've got people in the middle who are confused, or they're interested in one part, or they're not interested in, you know, in something else. So it was a, it was the same makeup of people how much money people earned was just different. So basically, that's when um realise you've got to map this out. A lot of people in the city were really interested in taking the project into their buildings, but it's very hard to put a bar of tights, balls, or coins made of dust in their reception area without worrying. It might upset other people in the client because everyone was quite nervous about how others viewed them and how they viewed. So it's a complex situation in the city. Um, they're there to make money, big money. Yeah, that's their... So I realised we had to map it in a different way. So John Wood, who uh, is someone I've known for a long time on and off, who was the YBA's Deputy Head of Art at Goldsmiths, uh, he ended up writing some projects on design, about future of design. This was back in the 90s, um, and so, which led to the design department at Goldsmiths, which the Guardian claims is number one now in the country. He had been working on, for 20, over 20 years on this thing called meta-design, thinking about redesigning design. And I went through, he came and gave some talks, and I was going through his research, and not just his, but his whole team um, at Goldsmiths, which has been quite heavily publicly funded as well in many senses. Um, and I realised, actually, we could map our learning from Platform 7 onto this system, combine it, um, to create something which maybe corporates could actually use to unlock their creativity and their innovation in a way which begins to bring in the questions of sustainability and the broad concepts of how they affect
1: other areas of the world so it sounds i've got to be blunt about this pancakes aside it sounds like your experience in uh Hall market has taught you how to create a consumable bolt-on to the existing consumer system
0: yeah i mean basically the things are changing rapidly you know, there's, whether it's in academia or on the street and talking to people, you know, people can t- taste, you know, we've got Donald Trump's election next week. Probably he's going to win, which is, you know, hopefully that's wrong, but it's looking likely. It feels a Brexit moment. Yeah, you know, we were talking about Brexit way before it was Brexit. You know, like, it was so obvious. The passion to be against something is often stronger than passion for when you love something. You're not going to be passionate about the EU who's going to be actually no one's going to be passionate about the EU no one's going to be passionate about the government you know, you're not, you, maybe if you're in the government you might be passionate but you're not going to be passionate about the government what you're passionate about is things around you but if you've got a real anti something you know, if you're really angry at your phone, mobile phone company you End up shouting at them or something, yeah. You know, it, it, it's, it's a natural not I'm you learning a lot about
1: you here. No, not me. Um, I don't, I don't, I just avoid talking to them basically. <laughs> um, but and they you know, keep sending you bills as well, yeah. They send me bills, there's a though. theme here,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. They send me a bill every month, which I find outrageous.
1: so <laughs> uh, if there's a good phone box now.
0: <laughs> I've never got enough 50 P's for the phone box, it doesn't accept any money anyway. The phone box that I use, <laughs> you're going to do free phone calls. just to let you know and also there's free wi-fi in our phone box so if you're lost in holborn you can use our wi-fi well
1: now hold on this is a dimension that we didn't explore at all you can make free phone calls and get free wi-fi
0: um i think you can only make free phone calls to free phone numbers uh but you can't actually there's no money box at that phone box and there's nowhere to put a card and i don't know any other way you can dial the number except if it's free phone so it is connected but you can't really use it. I don't think um, you can dial nine nine nine. Of course, if you but there's a police station opposite, so maybe you could walk across the road unless you need an
1: ambulance. I suppose. Um, Are you aware that you've chosen the least useful phone box anywhere for your project? <laughs> uh, it's quite interesting. That, uh, yeah, yeah, probably. If you're pursuing the argument that art is not about utility, then congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> So but what I did want to ask you about this London Hall market thing, it it sounds as though, and maybe I'm misunderstanding this, but what I thought you were going into this with, the way you were describing it, was a project to see what else could be done other than either the consumerist framework that society is built on or challenging some idea of capitalism in the wake of this financial problem or that, something like that. And instead it sounds as though it's taught you how to hone your i mean i'm one step away from saying sell out but i don't know that actually what's wrong with making money as an artist i'm not sure what the professionalism of art is there a huge problem there but it sounds as though that's what you've taken away from it yeah maybe um i, I, I would disagree yes yeah, selling out um well sell out, selling out's got such negative connotations and, and actually you know if you make something that's popular and lots of people buy it that seems like a very pure form of
0: success yeah, yeah. i mean if you want to it's reached let me just show you the photographs these mm-hmm. photographs behind are by Heather uh, Aponge and if you just turn around here you can see these are up in the waste agency and these caused a lot of people to you know view for a long time so let me just get them out. I'll just
1: show you. The top one I'm looking at here has a person of colour. We can see them from behind. They are walking away from the camera in a washed out palette across what looks like a junkyard of some sort. There are inner tubes burning, perhaps to give warmth. I don't know. I'm guessing that might be a junkyard in the outskirts it's of Lagos. In Ghana,
0: actually, Agabal- Agabaloshi in Ghana. In Ghana. Um, Heather's family grew up. Not her family grew up. Her parents are from a village nearby. And the work is actually... uh, She went on to the site. She's quite young, to be honest. Um, Brilliant, absolutely brilliant artist. Um, And her critique, really, is of, of the white researcher going out to these places and talking about, you know, these poor people, look at them, you know, blah, blah, blah and then getting an interview, then buggering off back to the UK, writing a book, getting published and going to lots of conferences. And her point was, and then without ever even taking time to even tell them what's happened to the interview that they gave on these sites. So it's quite a big critique, but it also shows where a lot of our waste goes, basically. Um, So these, as far as we know, all this electrical stuff, which is uh, a, a pile of electrical TVs and phones and everything, were from are from the West. So we just send them when we throw away our TV, if there's no second hand use to it, it ends up in these places and then they're stripped back. And there's a an actual society on this on these sites. And actually it's very profitable and it's very intricate. And strangely enough it feeds all the way back into the city because the metals that are stripped out and everything else are then retraded later up the line. And then the mineral, uh, the metals exchange, which is literally around the corner on Leathernall Market, right. from the Leathernall Market, are retrading the same products. So they are part of the global economy. It, it, and quickly what you found was, especially the metal traders, quickly cottoned on to what this was actually indicating, what this was talking about, this work. you know, And it created a whole series of conversations around the use, reuse of materials, the idea of pollution how this pollution comes back to here you know in one form or another the seas everyone's focused on the seas but you know this goes into the sky as much as anything else you know so the wind blows <laughs> the air moves it, it goes around the world you know like so we're all affected by our own actions so the work the the waste agency was exploring that interconnectedness and what kinergy which is the company that john and i and i have tell you some other people as well as not just um, john and i have created is is just mapping that idea of create, you know these connections and how your action affects things in your own in the next person in your team and that team affects people in your organization and customers and your family and friends and in products are changing things and you'll have the power to reorganize the way you work and still make money and still work within the system
1: okay the path of least resistance being the status quo quite often it sounds as though part of what you're talking about here could be a scientific approach to growing a global conscience and a global awareness but all the mapping in the world is only any good if it's in the interests of the people who now possess this map, because if not, they're just going to carry on doing what they're doing because they know that makes money.
0: Yeah, and that's, a, I mean, as it, as it happens, we, we call it an organisational consciousness map for that very reason, because what you, you're right with the status quo, you know, we're selling 1,000 tins of fizzy drinks a day and we're making loads of money, we might want to sell 1,005 tomorrow and 1,010 the next week, you know, it's just show growth. <laughs> this idea of growth um, which is fine until you've no longer got any tin for example and you have a slight a disruption and the thing about now over the last 150 odd years since industrialization is the disruption is coming quick and fast and it's and nobody really knows where it's going so the idea of the network society the risk to the way corporates to any product could go terribly wrong because someone of start tweeting about it and facebook in it and it gets reshared and before you know it your your reputation is ruined and that's what happens to products that's what can happen to businesses that couldn't happen even 10 years ago very easily you know you have the Ratner speech where he gets up and says my products are crap but that was more rare you know Mm. um now you can literally have a a backlash against anything for any reason sometimes rightly or wrongly so this interconnected and also the way um the awareness of how people are thinking about products and the way on capitalism and housing crisis and all these oh. factors homelessness there is a it's a, there's a much more broader uh interactions going on at a sub level which you don't which the media can't track necessarily or you know facebook and google etc are trying to track it and you know find ways of creating algorithms to track it, but it's actually quite difficult. So what we're looking at, what we realise is that we need to make money, because actually money's a measure of, of the in fact. If we made a billion quid, <laughs> if we made a billion quid, everyone would say this is the best thing ever, and we'd probably get given a Nobel Prize. <laughs> if it, if you, if you save a billion children's lives, you know, like inadvertently, nobody knows, but all these people nobody would even recognise it for a thousand, hundred years. And then someone goes, oh, this was, and this is what often happens in history. You know, people are often, an artist's work is recognised many decades mm-hmm. after. So, this is just a way, really, of just going out into, we've had already quite a few interesting meetings, um, is to just show that by using very simple techniques, you can take assets that you already own. It could be any team, any organisation. So, a company will, you know, they're stuck in some reason their sales are flat or they can't keep staff and the idea is you bring in a consultant the consultant tells you how to do things and la 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 and what we're just talking about is the creativity and innovation is probably already in your organization but maybe you can't see it you know maybe it's you know it's in one room and not in another room or you're looking in the wrong place so you're looking for solutions all the time And this isn't about solutions, this is about seeing what you have and recombining those assets, whether it's people or equipment or ideas or thoughts, and building new, and you get synergy. And that costs you nothing.
1: Well, costing nothing actually is a perfect lead-in. The dead weight that you're up against, surely, is the majority of people, and I think that's got to be true, kick their social conscience out of the window, it doesn't even enter the frame, because they want things for cheap. And I wonder whether it is corporate thought structures that are going to fix that one, or is it that people have to have a personality transplant en masse in order to not just go down the... Well, we we can all think of the clothing companies, we can think of the phone companies. They're all using labour that's unacceptable, digging up minerals that we haven't got much left of. Air transport, you know, wherever you look, people are shrugging off what their social conscience should be telling them because they want things cheap and they want them yesterday.
0: Agreed. You know, if you no longer appreciate that you've got running water, how can you, you know, the basis of our life, how can you appreciate anything else, really? But I I would suggest that and what the city, what we found in the city is it isn't so much there's an apathy. There is apathy amongst some people. They just don't care. You know, there is a, there's a trait of people who don't care about anything, except themselves or... Their own. OK, so that's one type of person. But there's also, I, I think, and a growing group of people who... Do really care and are aware but they have no idea how to unlock the system so the what i was saying earlier about the waste agency the system the system the system people think well and what choice do you have you know if you've got a choice between tesco asda and sainsbury's that's your three shops because all the little town shops are closed down you have to buy your food from one of those three shops you know these are your options so the way, it's, then, how do you pivot these big organisations to become more aware of their responsibility and the people within it? And one of the things we're already focused on is that big organisations are having to change their processes because to keep staff, because to get good staff who are thinking about stuff in a broader context, they, come, they want to work in places which are thinking about things in a broader context you're looking no i don't believe you yeah I mean,
1: fairly... it it sounds to me as though if you had found some sort of unethical cheap way to market and everybody wanted that thing because it was cheap it could be that you, you the other big three players in the marketplace are doing things well and correctly and maybe charging a bit more but you've still got that enormous connection with the the cheap end of the the unethical cheap end of the market
0: yeah but, i mean when you get into the ethics and the yeah, you know, ethoses and things that are big. Then it's you're in a sort of a quite grey philosophical kind of area. But is of it not
1: what we're talking about? We're yeah, not talking we about are. doing things, yeah, well. We
0: well, yeah, we are. But there is, but things have changed. so you, you know, people are are adapting their lifestyles. Whether you realise it or not, people are actually adapting their
1: lifestyles. We have an example of what sort of thing? Um,
0: well, the organic food movement, for example, uh, whether you believe it or not, has grown hugely in the last you know, not just here in the States. And now there's areas in the States coming back from GM, you know, which are going back to organic because there is a growing market and awareness of, of, of its value. Um, people cycling in London. I mean, that's gone through the roof. Um, it creates other problems, you know, like the trucks and all that, but that then has another effect, you know, like, and it's about linking the, joining these things together. It's about, so what Kinergy is about is trying to think, the, you know, the, what are the what seem to be negative assets so you're talking about quite a few th- negative things but from negative um things you can also get positive for example um, salt is made of two poisons neither of which you can eat
1: you're <laughs> no thinking about this uh sodium's one of them it's made out of uh sodium and swimming balls yes yes is it sodium and swimming balls i believe so yeah um, uh, I think they boil the swimming pool down to extract the chloride. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and then put that in salt.
0: Yeah, so you know, that's salt. So basically, it's two poisons make a salt, which you put in your food. And this idea that, so that's two negative things.
1: Um, well, salt's not that great.
0: Uh, well, it's, it's, it's a preservative. It's a, it's, it stays uh, in the kidneys. Well, yeah, but you also need it. You need it. You need salt because if you're in a hot country, you're the, you're this, you know um, you're very hot during the day. and You don't have any salt after a few days, as I know personally from being in the Southeast Asia. Um, you start to get severe cramps and things. You need the salt to you know, replenish your system. So you say it's negative. It's negative. You have a lot of it, but you do need a certain amount of salt each day
1: just to to live. Who thought we'd end up talking about sweating in Southeast Asia? <laughs> <laughs> um, so. so this is where we've got to it's quite
0: we, we soft launched the kinergy stuff a few weeks ago yes we do hope to make money maybe it's a sellout maybe not the innovation as well is also to look at how people think about innovation and why we're you know this whole idea of innovating so talking about the homelessness um i want to show you a project which we're doing for remembrance this year um if i can show you that john is
1: brandishing a an interestingly shaped box if you, I would have thought this is a giant Toblerone he's about to produce no this
0: isn't a t- giant Toblerone this is well the
1: interview's off then
0: I've <laughs> <laughs> got a tetrahedron I can show you made
1: of course is it a Toblerone no there's no there's, okay,
0: there's a Toblerone um
1: show sure and tell I wanted a Toblerone <laughs> I'll
0: get you a Toblerone after the interview okay um so this is a draft. This isn't the actual... So this, this picture...
1: Which looks, by the way, like a, a computer-aided drawing by a child of some trees and sunshine. You know when the sunshine's right at the top of the page because that's where the sunshine is? One yeah. of those.
0: One of those, exactly. We think uh, the child was six. It was a Syrian child uh, drawn in Milan train station. We got permission from Save the Children after... It took a long time to find a picture which um, depicted hope and home. And it's a very beautiful photo, as you say, a very beautiful picture of um, trees and flowers and sunshine. And this is how, I think it may be a little girl, I'm not sure, um, saw her home from this train station. God knows what the circumstances how she got there. Let's, let's not think about it too much right now. And then during the summer we got permission from the UN to reuse the text and this photo is being remade by Mick Tonello, who's a typographer in the advertising world. And he's set the text of um, the Convention of the Right of a Child, which is a UN convention from 1989, and redrawn the picture using that text. So it's seven times the text. It's repeated seven times because it wasn't enough to do the whole picture. One representing one, one for each continent. One right yeah. um, seven continents, and it will be blown up. The actual picture will be made five foot, roughly five foot by four foot, so it's gonna be huge and it will look like a child's picture from a distance, slightly greyed out. And as you walk towards it, you'll start to see, be able to read the text from this convention. So, we're just literally signing off a couple of bits. So, the original plan was to sell it by the remembrance day which is next friday but unfortunately because it took so much time to find a picture and get permissions that what it's actually done us a favor in a way so what we're going to do is launch it next week we're going to have a crowdfunder and the crowdfunding is really just to raise money to for the production costs We're speaking to printers at the moment how to best way to do it because once it's printed it has to be go straight behind glass and framed to give it longevity but there's only going to be one and it's going to be auctioned at the end. And the money will then just be donated to a children's charity, basically. Um, so with the crowdfunding will be to raise money for the actual production costs, so that, and but as much to also raise awareness about the project. And then we were just trying, we've got already some people interested in interviews, essays, writing us essays for the project. And then maybe exhibits it as an exhibition of one somewhere. Over next year, just so people can come and see it and engage with this idea of the convention, what's going on. I mean, we all know what's going on. And just try and think beyond the death and the, and the destruction and think more about you know, the future and, and hope. The closing date will be the, the Remembrance Day next year. And then, whatever money we earn from that and any money left over from the crowd funding can go towards the charity. Um, and the money f- which we do raise will just be for production and exhibition costs. No, no one's going to be getting any money from it personally.
1: And you, you're not going to. Have you learned the lesson? here? You're not going to leave this unattended in a public place.
0: You? <laughs> you never know. You never know. Um, uh, I don't,
1: Let's see. Let's see what happens. We will be. That, like, that sounds like a yes.
0: I'm not. No. I mean, it's going to be an expensive piece of work, and it's quite a big piece of work. So it's not going to be easy to steal. Um, hopefully no... Who knows? Who knows? Maybe somebody knows. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to yeah, go there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Could we? Could uh, Obviously, we've been talking a lot about your projects, but I want to move away from what you do and just as we come to the end of the show, maybe talk about how you do it. Clearly, you've got a whole bunch of different things working. It's sort of the same thought arena, but very different projects. Your organisational skills are something to behold. When you wake up in the morning, do you imagine yourself on a, a sort of a single overarching mission of some sort or do you regard yourself as reactive or do you wake up in the morning with a long list of things to do and not a huge overall sense of direction? How does your, how does your brain work? If, you've got, if you could just pack this into two minutes, please. How does your brain work?
0: <laughs> My brain works the following. Uh, no, in the morning I often think back to what I did the day before. So I do spend a little bit of time just rethinking the day earlier. A f- great friend of mine, Alex, out in Spain, who you know, like, who's directed, who's very much into meditation and stuff. I'm not actually personally into meditation. He's always speaking about the moment. you know, Just live the moment, live where you are, what you are. You, you gather your own thoughts and you gather your own moments. So I've just been gathering my own thoughts, my own moments, building up slowly over life and just appreciating what you have rather than... The projects themselves, they sort of evolve and, and shape themselves. Like the phone book, the phone box, these interventions, the, the waste agency, the Margate interventions, these things sort of capture your own life. Because you, you, everyone's always talking... And John, what John was talking about with design futures, when he set up that design course, is you design a stall thinking that people are going to sit on it. And then people use it as a table. You know, so your ideas, you, you can you can project as much as you like to in the future. Um, you can say what's going to happen, and blah, 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 but you're always being dictated to by events. And and what the interventions just... My work and the way I think is you can't really control what's going to happen tomorrow or the next hour or the next minute. Uh, you're just going to enjoy the moments that you're in. And so that's what I try and do and build on the moments that have passed. And a lot of people around me seem to think in a similar way. So it's... Uh, It's about enjoying each moment, really, as much as possible.
1: So the closest analogue I've got for this thing is (laughs) I was reading up on, on chess grandmasters who are capable of playing 50 matches in an exhibition play all at once. And they were talking about how they go about doing that, and they don't try to commit every move of each game to memory. But they've got a basic set of principles, you know, very highly evolved principles, and they come to each board and they apply their personal set of principles to that board and they make what would be the the appropriate response move to that game at that moment and then move on to the next one and it sounds a lot like that's you
0: yeah values
1: i think it's what's the word
0: um and you know if you've got values your own values and you live by your own values and those around you you share those values with others and others share their values with you and you accept and acknowledge other people's values i think and i think that's where companies it's, it's paid lip service by PR companies and marketing has taken this kind of stuff and you know capitalism but actually when you go back into capitalism one of the big really interesting events sorry going back to events in The Waste Agency was corporate songs so we did an evening of corporate songs and what was really fascinating about what came out of that was that Corporate songs in the 1800s, when they're building canals or railways, was about community. So they would write these songs, and the chairman or the Vendi or whatever it would be at the time would sing these songs, or they get the staff to sing these songs to say why it was good for the community and how everyone would benefit from these canals or this stuff. And, and then in the 50s, mainly from the Americas, from America, it started to shift towards more about the, corp- you know, about the individuals and the thing. And, and it's got to the point where if, if you look up corporate songs on the internet, you know, you'll see some quite frightening corporate songs. You know, and it's about winning and taking over and being the best and the biggest and the strongest and making the most money. So the the actual idea of corporate has lost its quite not completely, but it's it's losing its idea of values. And that that idea in us as individuals, you know, is what is your values? And I think that confusion, which has come up in Brexit and maybe come up with Trump next year. The loss of values, what is our what are our values? you know at the end of the day, this picture which i'm showing you is you know of a child, it's a child, regardless of where, where the child's from, it's a six year old you know a six year old in Milan is, and even the hardest, nastiest you know. Beefcake, blank. If he sees a child on her, you know, on her own or on his own in the train station, it will go and help that child. You know, most people will go and help a child. And the convention of the child, the UN Convention of the Right of a Child, is about we as nations, all nations have signed it, have to protect children. So we do have values, and it's about unlocking those right values in the right way. And really, I think what I'm hoping we've achieved, John, I, Morris, sorry, this is SHM's offices, which um, Morris is another... He's a professor of um, humanities from Cambridge. He's got a company, which is is also part of Kinergy. We're just trying to sort of use this as a way of opening up that conversation in a safe way. Because if you're inside a corporate, you are trapped in this system, which they keep talking about. You know, how can you... explain that you are actually you do care about the planet. You know, if you're an oil company, it doesn't make sense. But actually there is ways of showing that you care and be legitimate and be open about it and your shareholders will be in, will embrace it. A lot of shareholders will embrace uh, a more inclusive way of thinking about the planet because people are, what we saw in the city, people are very aware. The tights ball, which might as well finish off in the tights ball, the tights ball we had up in the waste agency we had the dress and all that we offered seven year seven generation guarantee if you bought this tights dress for 700 pounds you'll get a seven generation guarantee because it's not going to change and the guy i think he was from swiss ray as a senior chemist from swiss ray one of the big insurance companies came in and, and asked why we were saying 100 years for the ball to start breaking down well, he said, "Oh, it was just a guess." And he goes, "This rubbish." He goes, "It's going to be a thousand years before that starts to shift." He goes, "Nylon's one of the worst materials that man's yet created," and yet these are th- these products are thrown away. The diff- what that did then was when older guys, you know, people that own these big insurance companies that were coming in at near the end of the project, and we had a thousand years, when they felt the weight of these tights balls and how much landfill, so they're looking at each other, going, "We've got to think about our grandchildren." So they started. To, you know, it set off a whole series of conversations about not just them, but their children and their great, you know, their grandchildren and their children's children's children. You know, and this idea that they have the power. And then once, and what they were asking for is, how can we do something about it? And that's when we realized. Well, that's really when the penny dropped to me that actually you can. You asked this question. It, last time we spoke, how do you change things? How does it make any difference? You know, it's all good and well. You, you, you challenge me with that question. How does this make a blind bit of difference? Well, maybe we have sold out, or maybe we've created something which may help big companies or teams think about things in a more safer, cohesive way.
1: Which would be... Fantastic moment to to end. A beautiful note to finish on. But me being me, I've got to <laughs> one more question, haven't I? There have been reactions against one of the uh, big oil companies comes to mind straight away, where they've been getting involved in various projects. The Arts, for example, and some people have seen that as greenwash and have reacted negatively towards it. So, on the one hand, there's what you're saying. And on the other hand, there's what we started out talking about, the uh, social media, people reacting against an entity and deciding that they're going to bring it down. So in the middle there somewhere, it sounds like not only have the corporations got to be thinking about the values that they subscribe to, but also they've got to embody those values. They've, you know, they've got to mean it. Mm. And they've also got to be seen to mean it. And it sounds as though those additional two elements, beyond just finding what the values are, are rather important.
0: Yeah, and... I have nothing against. I think people have got the right to be angry about the way. But the thing is, you can throw rocks and smash windows as much as you want, but the system itself is fairly solid. There is people in the oil companies who don't care, but there's a lot of people who do care, and they need to be able to find a route to to pivot the system. A good little anecdote which people can share, uh, one of the things that we use is a trend tab. Buckminster Fuller as a 1950s engineer, quite famous in this design world. And he speaks about it. On his greystone. it says, call me trim tab. And a trim tab is the little rudder at the bottom of a big rudder on a super ship. So an oil tanker will have a big rudder at the bottom, at the back, and then at the very corner, there'll be a tiny little rudder called a trim tab. And that is the one that pivots the whole ship around. For a ship, for, a, for an oil ship to turn around, it would take miles if it, didn't, if it just had the big rudder. But for the, the little trim tab is what turns it around in a much smaller arc. And you get them on aeroplanes as well. Exactly the same process. It, it, it twilts slightly against the flow of the big rudder. And that idea of a trim tab, you, how you can your individual actions can pivot much bigger actions, is really, really important. It's one of the things that one of the first things that you would learn from Kinergy. Is using this methodology of thinking broader and how little actions have big effects.
1: And uh, we we only have to look at the uh, person who achieved Brexit to uh, to see (laughs) the difference—the difference difference that one person can make. Maybe enough said about that, John McKinnon. A quick rundown of what people can see out and about beyond the non-functioning phone box.
0: Now, the phone box will be slowly changing over the coming months and years. www.platform-7.com We'll be changing the name soon to Beyond Platform 7 because Platform 7 now exists at London Bridge, as you may oh, know. Oh, right. Of course it does. <laughs> so so the name check, there will be a name change over Christmas. That's us. we got the...
1: Couldn't you just sue them at um, some level? Yeah.
0: I've already spoken to uh, Network Rail and they're closing it down, Good. closing down the whole station just to to keep platform 7 going. Um also we're going to have this crowdfunding which we're still sort of working on to be honest but hopefully you can join us that will be on the website and help us and maybe contribute 5 pounds or 10 pounds to we're not, we're not looking for lots of money, we're looking for lots of people. Um, so you have a little bit of ownership of the project. That's really, so you can promote the project on our behalf. It's a good, I'm, I'm hoping it'll be a good project, this. And also Kinergy, which is uh, the W's with Kinergy, which is K I N E R J I.co. If you want to know about what, how we're going to try and make some money out of all of this and uh, live live (laughs) live in
1: London (laughs) on which note we go our separate ways bye John McKinnon, thanks very much (laughs) thank you really kind cheers and that's all for this week my thanks for this week to John McKean, and thanks too to Bernie Barclay theme and incidental music was by songs from the Howling Sea I'm N. Wolfe